Good morning, DC family. Welcome back to another episode of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast. It is Thursday, December 12th. I am one of your hosts, Frank, and I am joined today, as always, by Brendan. Brendan, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, getting ready to go to this Ravens Thursday night game against the Jets in a couple hours, so that should be cool. Um, but for the time being, as always, we are here to discuss the Wizards. And compared to the Ravens, there's not as many good things to say um, about the Wizards, um, especially these days. But um, as always, this podcast is brought to you by DMV Sports Network, your number one source for local collegiate and professional sports in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. You can find our Twitter account at DMV underscore SN in all caps. So in the Wizards' past four games, they are one and three. Uh, They're in a bit of a rough stretch, but quite frankly, you could say the entire season so far has been a rough stretch. Um, We're cautiously optimistic that they might be able to uh, pick up a couple wins here in the past three games, but that turned out to not be the case as they dropped all three of their games against the Miami Heat, the Clippers, and the Charlotte Hornets. Um, since their win over the Charlotte Hornets on November 22nd, the Wizards are now 2-10 and 10 in their past 12 games, and they're 7-16 and 16 on the year. So, Brendan, from your perspective, I mean, obviously we didn't expect them to beat, you know, a team like the Heat or a team like the Clippers, but when you're playing a team like the Hornets, I mean, that's presumably a team that the Wizards should be able to beat, if anyone, right? So so is it concerning that they dropped a game like that? Um, I think if they were a healthy team and, um, you know, had all their pieces together, I would say that it would be a team that I would expect them to at least be competitive with. But given that the Wizards are without so many of their pieces now, it's hard for me to envision them, uh, you know, really having any guaranteed wins on their schedule. So even with the injuries, I guess you could still say that the Wizards should still be able to compete with a team like the Hornets. And certainly, I mean, it wasn't a a blowout by any means, but um, the Hornets still obviously got the win. So a little bit discouraging there. But again, I mean, and the Wizards have an easy stretch here of games where, you know, again, I think under normal circumstances that you could say they'd be able to, you know, uh, pull away a few games and perhaps get a little bit back closer into the playoff picture. But I think we just have to face the fact right now that the Wizards aren't going to be very competitive because they're just so depleted. Yeah, and when you look at a game like the Hornets, it was a bit surprising to see someone like Bradley Beal struggle to uh, to the extent that he did. As he, he scored 16 points and had 9 assists, but he also had 4 turnovers and he was 0 of 7 from 3 and 6 of 19 from the floor overall. And his plus minus was a whopping minus 36 which is just crazy when you look at it but like what goes into that like why i mean obviously beal should theoretically be the best player on the floor in this matchup between the wizards and hornets like by far but it seems like every once in a while he has one of these stinker type games where he just can't get anything to fall and he just looks like he's out of rhythm like i mean is that concerning to you that that he struggles in a matchup like this no because in an NBA season, players are going to have, you know, and it's like with teams, right? Like teams are going to lose games that they're not supposed to. They're going to win games that they're not supposed to. And Beal's going to have games where, you know, he's going to light it up and games where he may not be as sharp. And, you know, certainly so far this season, the thing that I think we can be happy about is he's had more of those games where 
he has shown up and he has been, um, you know, an all NBA caliber player. So I'm not too concerned. Obviously against the Hornets, you want to see your best player show up because they give you a chance to win, especially, like I said, you know, the wizards are down a lot of bodies. So you want to see other guys pick up the slack, but, uh, you know, guys are going to have those games. So if they keep happening, obviously they'll be a little bit more concerning, but I think for now, I mean, it happens. It doesn't irritate me too much. And uh, the expectation shouldn't be that high anyway, right now for the wizards as a whole, like I said, and that's going to affect you a little bit more too now because defenses are going to be able to lock in on him a little bit more as well. Right. And I mean, what do you think, like just looking far ahead, um, what do you think it would take for Beal to get some, you know, consideration for maybe MVP not saying that he's obviously going to be a serious can to win the award but how, what do you think it would take from the Wizards and from him overall for him to get votes at all in the MVP race I think that the Wizards would have to be in the playoff picture in order for him to be considered for that at all so you think even if like let's say they snuck in as the eight seed can you see him getting like maybe one or two votes somewhere? yeah yeah absolutely if he keeps up the level of play from um you know, what we've seen relatively the whole season. Yeah, I mean, I totally think that's possible. Yeah, because obviously, I mean, MVP is in there. It's a combination of a statistical award and also a narrative award. So if we presume that Beal is going to, you know, continue at this offensive face that he's on for the rest of the season, then he's going to be averaging somewhere between 27 and 30 points a game. And mm-hmm. he's going to have a decent number of assists and points. And if the Wizards were to sneak in as the eighth seed, I can see him maybe getting some votes. But, like, would it be enough for them to just make the playoffs or do you think they would have to somehow win? Like what's the win total you, you would think for that scenario to play out? I mean, 35, 40. I don't know if there'd be a win scenario because I don't know what that's going to have to look like this year for a playoff team. But I mean, already, if you look at the, uh, at the playoff picture right now, I mean, I think there's a little bit of a drop off between the teams that are currently seated and then the teams that aren't. I believe when I was looking at it the other day, I don't know um, how much that's changed, but so obviously the wizards are going to have to make some sort of a climb a little bit to get back in there. And so if they are able to get into the playoffs, no, uh, how many wins they get, given that the wizards have a lot of their bodies, um, you know, they're without John wall. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm still considering him for that. Yeah. And I mean, you talked about the drop off um, between the playoff teams and non-playoff teams. So the eighth seed right now, is the Magic, and they're 11 and 13. And then the Pistons are 10 and 14, so they're right behind. And the Wizards have dropped down to the 12th seed at 7 and 16. So they definitely have a bit of catching up to do um, at that department. But, like, just looking further down the line, at the end of the day, if if you had to choose between a team like the Wizards or maybe one of the teams in front of them, like the Bulls or Hornets or Pistons or Magic, like, how confident are you that the Wizards will end up being a better team than uh, than those teams ahead of them? Yeah, I think that if they're healthy, it, with the past stretch of games they've gone through without it, I mean, I think we're talking about a different now. So I would still take the Wizards, and also, I mean, they have the best player on the floor because no other team that you just mentioned has a player better than Bradley Beal. So they have that going for them as well. And then you consider, you know, John Wall make back towards the end of the season. I mean. I'm not saying that that's a definite, but I mean, it's something to consider, especially when you're talking about, you know, later in the season. Right. So if you had to choose, like, if who is your top, you had to choose your top three MVP candidates right now, just looking around the league, 
who off the top of your head comes to mind? Because I know it's so early. It's only like early December, but this is still a pretty hot topic of discussion. I know this is going to be kind of a lazy pick. And so I don't, I'm not going to name like in order. I'm just going to name three guys that I think are well deserving of it. And again, this pick is going to be kind of lazy because um, he's one that's considered, I mean, basically every year, but I think that LeBron is worth it. Um, Giannis, obviously the Bucks are playing really well. And then James Harden, because James Harden is playing out of his mind offensively again. So. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that Harden is averaging 39 points a game. And it's like, man, like that's insane. But if I'm not mistaken, last year he averaged, what, 35, 36, something like that? Yeah, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, and he's still like, it's just, it's hard to fathom somebody scoring that many points and not winning MVP. But like in all likelihood, that's going to be the scenario. Because, I mean, it's probably going to end up being Giannis or another name that you didn't mention is Luka Doncic, who. We've seen firsthand against the Wizards. He's been insane this year. Yeah. But, um, I mean, just shifting back towards the Wizards, let's just go down the line here on the roster and and dish out some early season awards, um, just specifically for the Wizards roster. So, obviously, if we had to choose the MVP, I mean, that's pretty obvious to be Beal, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that's just that's self-explanatory. Um, yep. So, if you had to choose... An offensive player of the year who's not Bradley Beal because obviously he would he would be um, the shoe in for that category as well. An offensive player of the year who would you choose? Bertans, man, I think that's another easy one. Yeah, I mean we've talked about it a lot so far um, on this podcast throughout the season, but Bertans is just he's insane. Like, let me read you off the stats or for the readers or listeners who who may not know this specifically. This is um, what Bertans has done in his last six games. He's had 20 points, 21 points, 25 points, 19 points, 25 points again, and 32 points. And in each of those games, he's hit at least four three-pointers. And he hit a career-high eight three-pointers the other night uh, when he scored 32 points. Um, So the more that Bertans performs at this high level, how much money do you think he's earning himself? Like, if you had to put a number, let's just presume, obviously, he's probably going to fall back to earth a little. But if he continues to be a, an offensive force and one of the elite shooters in the league, how much money is he going to earn himself on his next contract, do you think? Um, like what's the, what's the market for a player like Bertans who he's so good as an outside shooter? But, I mean, to be completely objective, he's really not all that good at anything else. Like shooting is his main attribute. So, like, in today's NBA, what do you think the market for a player like him is? I think right now it's probably somewhere between 10 to 12 million, but if he keeps that up, I mean, you obviously you're going to expect that to go up a little bit, but again, like, yeah, it's his shooting, but you see teams like time and time again, try and stop this guy from coming off screens or trying to guard him, even crossed up whoever and cross him up and get him off bounds. But you know, he had a step back three the other day. It was in his face. uh, I mean, you can't stop that. I mean, teams have been trying to stop him all year from doing the same thing, and no one can do it. So eventually, people are just going to have to come to the conclusion: well, this is just kind of the player that. Because people got to remember, the Spurs did not use him like Scott Brooks is using him at all. I mean, the the Spurs went, you know, as far as to go trade him. So I mean, that should tell you right there what they thought of him, and for Scott Brooks to be putting him in this, in you know, the position that he is right now, 
I think it's pretty remarkable. And, you know, Bertans is, um, you know, it's a contract year and all that, but um, it looks like he'll be playing himself into a, you know, position where he can make a decent chunk of change this offseason. And hopefully it stays with the Wizards. Uh, we'll find out. Yeah, the more you watch him, it's like, man, like this dude would be a perfect fit for the Spurs. And then you think, oh, he was on the Spurs for three years and he didn't put up nearly these numbers and they were willing to trade him away. Um, Nothing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the reason they traded him away, if I'm remembering correctly, is because they were trying to sign Marcus Morris. So they they wanted to free up the room. So they traded Bertans and then Morris spurned them for the Knicks. Pretty sure that's how that played out. Still the better player though, regardless. Yeah, like if especially for a team like the Spurs, why would you not rather have Bertans than Marcus Morris, who is kind of a ball a ball stopper and doesn't really fit into that yeah. kind of free flowing system? Like that doesn't make sense to me. But um I mean it Bertans has a lot of freedom right now, um in Scott Brooks system. He's shooting a lot of threes, eight and a half a game, and he's making a lot of threes, um, right around four per game. At eight and a half a game. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. Um, and he's averaging 15.7 points. So do you think Bertans, I mean, do you think he's going to be in the three-point contest during the All-Star weekend? Like, at this rate, he's got to be a shoe-in, right? Yeah, I would say so unless he declines it because sometimes players do that. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me, actually, because he seems like – I know on the court maybe sometimes he's more vocal, but it wouldn't surprise me if, like, he just seems like the type of person that might decline the opportunity. So. Um, but yeah, he would definitely be a shoe in. I mean, the number one guy, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see. I mean, like you said, he's kind of a low key guy. Like he's got a he's got a low key demeanor about him. But um, so just thinking back, as far as you can remember, since you've been watching the Wizards, is where does Bertans rank among the best three point shooters that you've seen? The like, best, just off, just off the top of your head, you think he's the best? Yeah, yeah. I mean, up there with Martel Webster, Russell Butler, uh, Mike Scott when he was with us. Um, who else shot the three pretty well? For Maybe Ariza. Ariza on his uh, first stint. Um, yeah, but he'd still be the number one. Yeah, so I guess it's a question of, like, the other guys you mentioned, none of them really stuck around for that long, and they had these really good seasons, and they just kind of faded away, specifically like Martel Webster that, that you were talking about. So. I guess the question begs, is Bertans another kind of flash in the pan kind of thing? Or can you see him being more of a, you know, continue, continued longevity um, at his current offensive rate? How do you, how do you think that's going to play out? I think that he'll probably fall back down to earth a little bit, but I'm not sure by how much, because again, the Wizards offense is, you know, really up tempo. They do a good job of putting him in positions to score. And I mean, you know, he's certainly in a groove right now. So, and you know, it's, shooters are kind of tricky but i think he's shown at this point and now he's on like a really really hot streak so maybe he does keep that up but maybe just not at the rate that it's at right now like i could see him consistently making um two threes a game i don't know what he's averaging right now but i think that that's something that you could expect probably every game yeah and i mean at this point opposing team scouting reports it's bradley beal and then Maybe Rui as as the number two, uh, you know, defensive um, the the player that defense want to key in, but Bertans is Ish. right up there. Yeah, Ish has got to be on there too at this point. Yeah, oh, and Ish. I mean Bertans, if if defenses start keying in on him, or I mean, from what you've seen, I guess the question is, do you see teams making a more concentrated effort to run him off the three point line and and kind of curl off those screens harder, or 
I mean, if they are, he's still he's still it's not slowing him down. I mean, clearly he's scoring at will. So so how how is that manifesting in your eyes? Um, I think honestly that the the stretch bakes have been a big reason why teams haven't been able to just kind of hide in the paint because that is drawing the defenders outside. So it's hard for them to help because the Wizards have bigs that can shoot, save for Mahimi, um, who has actually played pretty well at this point. Sorry for the yawning. Um, but yeah, I think that's uh, one of the biggest reasons for it. Anytime you bring up Mahimi, it, it, it draws a yawn from almost Yeah, everyone. there you go. There you go. See? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, but the thing is, is if you're going to stop it, you would have thought someone would have tried to do that already. Like, he even went up against the Spurs twice. And I forget exactly what his stats against the Spurs was the second time around when we played him at home. But I think he was still open a decent amount too. But And also the, the guy's unconscious. So it's hard to guard a guy that's unconscious. When he just catches it, he shoots it. You're not going to be able to shadow someone and live in their chest the whole game. Like you're going to get tired eventually. Or the one player like, all right, let me play back just a tad. And then that's the player he's going to shoot it from 40 feet, drain it. So, I mean... And the thing that's crazy to me is you watch these games and Bertans will get the ball and he's bringing the ball up the floor on a fast break and he just pulls up like two or three, a good two or three feet beyond the arc and it's cash. Like you rarely ever seen big men do that, especially Wizards players. I mean, the only Wizards players who really ever had that capability is, I mean, Radley Beal and maybe a few others, but um, definitely on this roster, nobody else is, is playing like that other than uh, Bertans. So it's definitely been a joy to watch. Um, hopefully he keeps it up. So moving down the line, if you had to say someone was defensive player of the year so far for the Wizards, this is this is probably the toughest award to think of. Who would be um, your number one pick for that? That is tough, isn't it? Um... For me, I would maybe, I mean, maybe Bonga. I mean, I want to say Troy Brown Jr., but he's kind of been iffy. See, I think Bongo would be worthy of it if he's played more, but he played like the first few games or whatever, and then he kind yeah. of didn't play anymore. So um, believe it or not, I think I might have to go with Ish Smith. Yeah, that's a good one. And it's like Ish Smith is not known. Like, obviously, he's developed a reputation as kind of a inferior defender throughout his league, throughout the league so far. I mean, throughout his career. I mean, as an undersized point guard, but I mean, he plays hard. You got to give him that on both ends of the court, but especially defense. I mean, he's scrappy and, and he's always active. Um, and unlike Isaiah Thomas, I mean, they're, they're kind of complete opposites on the defensive side of the ball. And Isaiah, I mean, IT has, has been out um, the past, I want to say, is it what, it's two weeks now, a week and a half, something like that, with his calf injury. Um, when he comes back from injury, I mean, with how the team is playing now, do you? How do you think he's going to fit back into the rotation? Do you think he's going to come back as a starting point guard immediately, or, or how's that going to play out? Do you think? Sorry, you're breaking up. What'd you say? Oh, I was saying, um, when Isaiah Thomas comes back from injury, how yeah. do you think he's going to fit back into the rotation? Do you think he's going to be, um, like th- thrust back into the starting role, or how do you think Brooks is going to, you know, play out with that? Um. I don't think that actually that he'll be back in the starting lineup. I think that Brooks, hopefully by now, <coughs> sorry, um, has acknowledged that Ish is going to 
you know, keep the tempo up and do all the things that is going to get other guys going and all that. So I think that for now we'll see um, Ish in the starting lineup even when Isaiah Thomas comes back. And obviously that could change and he could piss everyone off and put IT back in the starting lineup. But, I mean, at this point, honestly, I don't even really want to see the guy play a whole lot. I would much rather play Chioza or Justin Robinson. But obviously not our decision. And I know other people feel that way as well. So. Yeah, and we, I mean, especially when Domo came on the pod, we were talking a lot about how IT was hurting this team when he's on the floor. And, I mean, I think that's that's pretty much a universal opinion at this point. But even when he's been out of the lineup, the Wizards are still struggling to win games. So, I mean, is it fair? Is it is it too harsh to say that IT deserves, you know, some of the blame for the Wizards' performances when he was on the court? Or do you think that he can actually help this team in some way? Um, as the season goes on? I think probably a little bit of both. Like there's some things that he can do that, you know, other players can't do on this team. You know, he has a unique scoring ability, so I don't think that it's fair to completely discredit him. But for what the Wizards need right now, you know, they need defense and someone who's going to move the ball to get shooters and um, scores in position to score. Um, You know, he's not really a guy that I would really want playing right now. Again, I'd rather have, is Smith starting because he's the ultimate tempo setter right. and also coming off the bench. Chioza has done a pretty good job of getting guys involved. And then obviously we haven't seen much of Robinson, um, but Robinson is also a guy that's going to kind of keep the tempo up and, um, you know, let other guys, you know, score a little bit and get everyone involved. So uh, I would rather see those two guys at this point, but it's Isaiah does have ten, not get it twisted. Isaiah Thomas is a good basketball player, but it's just kind of an, right now and where the team is at i'm just not so sure he's the answer or one of the answers to fix the problem to fix the problems on the wizard yeah and you talked a little bit about ish smith um do you think ish smith was if you had to put a grade on that free agency signing based on what we've seen so far by thomas shepherd what grade would you give that signing because i originally i mean i remember when the wizards first signed him we were kind of it was just like hey, okay he's he's an okay player but it's nothing spectacular spectacular or nothing crazy but i think he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations i mean would you give that signing an a or maybe a b plus uh, i think it's a solid a is what i would give it right now uh, for given the circumstances and the minutes he's had to play and all that and the shots he's hit this year i mean he's out here actually um i didn't think he was even a, i mean i thought he was a decent three-point shooter but i mean he, he's actually proved to be a solid three-point shooter at this point that was my one thing with him as a shooting. And, yeah, it looks a little bit weird. But, I mean, he's shown that he can be a good shooter. And, you know, he plays well in the offense, gets guys involved. I mean, yeah. I, and, again, defensive player so far for me, I don't see how he's not an A. And this was the signing that everyone was the most skeptical about. Yeah, and he's actually shooting um, 36.2% from three this year, which would be his highest percentage since 2012. But in that 2012 season, when he shot 40%, he only shot 0.63s per game. Whereas this year, he's shooting 2.5, which is right up there with his career high in attempts. So he's shooting the most threes in his career, and he's also making almost the most threes in his career, um, which is important because, you know, he's not a great three-point shooter by any, by any stretch, but he's capable, and that keeps defenses honest because they can't just leave him um, beyond the arc because he's shown this year, as you mentioned, that he's capable of knocking them down. 
So if you have to pick most improved player on the roster, this might be hard because there's so many contributors this year that weren't on the team last year. But just off the top of your head, who comes to mind in that department? Um, I guess it would have to be Troy Brown because everyone else in the starting lineup was not not on the team here or and Thomas Bryant's injured but even when Thomas was playing I don't think that you were like wow this guy has improved so much like in some ways he's actually been kind of a dud so far this year even though I think he's played relatively well but he hasn't taken that leap like we all had hoped this year and we all know that there's different factors in play like it's not just Thomas um but I guess Troy, and then I'm, God, I'm trying to think real quick. I guess maybe Jordan McCray a little bit, but Jordan McCray has always been kind of a bucket. He just hadn't gotten the minutes. Yeah, and he's also hurt, so it's kind of hard to say. Right, he's yeah. hurt at the moment, so it's hard to say that he's the most improved. But he played pretty well um, in his minutes. You could argue year. Bradley Beal as well, because I mean, I will say that I didn't expect him to come out come out this year the way that he has. That's been really incredible. But I think that we've all kind of expected him to get to this point at some point in his career. So um, I'll give some love to Troy Brown. Yeah, and I mean, Troy Brown is a, is a really interesting, he's an interesting spot for me because we talked about how his role on, in the rotation has kind of fluctuated. He, he got the starting job, and then since then he's been moved back to the bench, and he really hasn't been putting up gaudy numbers, but it feels like when he's on the bench, he's looked more comfortable um, playing with the second unit. And against the Clippers, he did have 22 points on 9 of 12 shooting. And I want to say that's career high, but I, if I'm not mistaken, I think last year against the Nuggets, he might have had like 24 or 25 um, towards the end of the year. But yeah, so do you think that Troy Brown, do you think he's looked more comfortable with the second unit? And I mean, do you think that's a good spot for him to remain for the foreseeable future as he finds himself really as a player? He's looked more comfortable in the second unit, but I would still like to see him as the starter because ideally that's kind of where you want him next year. But the biggest thing with that is we have always kind of said that John Wall and Troy Brown is kind of an odd fit. And we've seen Troy Brown um, step up a little bit this year. His shooting and his spot shooting specifically from three, I think has been uh, pretty decent, maybe not so much recently, but you know, for a decent chunk of games, I thought that Troy Brown was a, you know, a decent shooter from the wing and, uh, from the corners and all that's what you're looking for in an offense with John Wall. But again, as several people have pointed out, you know, he's kind of, and as Adamo pointed out when he was on with us, you know, he's like a rhythm player. You know, he's a guy that needs right. the ball in his hands. And if you have three guys, really four guys out there that need to be ball dominant players, you know, Rui, Wall, Beal, and then Brown, it's kind of, you know, hard to see that all working out 100%, you know, beautiful basketball like how we're seeing now for the most offensively from the Wizards in terms of ball movement. So off the bench is probably a better um, position for him when Wall comes back. I mean, from a basketball, like, I don't know, but I, I see, like I said, I would want to see him as a starter because, like, he was a first-round pick, you know, so part of me yeah. is, yeah, you wanted to start, but then the other part of me is like, well, he's really played um, better off the bench. So um, it's tricky because, like you mentioned, yeah. I mean, ideally, you want him to be a starter at the three, but at the same time, that might not be the best place for you to utilize his skill set because he's not a natural point guard by any means, but he's 
he looks comfortable when he has the ball in his hands and when he's distributing or getting to the basket um as a creator that's probably where his at least right now um and it, where he is at is in his career that's probably where he's best at doing it but it's like you know if you want him to be a starter then you think if he's playing with Wall and Beal he's going to be the third ball handler and if you also have Rui and Thomas Bryant then I mean quite frankly he's the fifth offensive option in that lineup so how like how is he going to grow what's the what's the best way for him to grow um where he's at right now in like a limited role off the bench I mean he's just got a guy in the second unit that kind of gets everyone going you know now it makes it a little for that um to happen because Schmidt has been in the starting lineup so if that continues to stick Troy can be the guy in the second unit that you know can have the ball because I think the back like you said the backup point guard right now is Chioza and I would be much more comfortable with the ball in Troy Brown's hands um than I would Chioza not to say that Chioza is a bad player and Chioza is probably a safer player and uh, probably turns the ball over less than Troy Brown and all that but you really want to see Troy develop into a ball handler and a go-to guy to help out. So when, um, you know, we have everyone back together, that there's another guy out there that can get it done, you know, in the moment late in games or whenever you need a clutch bucket and all that. So um, Brooks just needs to continue to have him be that guy in the second unit, you know, come off screens at the top of the key, um, you know, be the point in the offense, bringing the ball up the floor, get him the ball on the break, you know, right, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, so is it too early for you to say that, I mean, obviously he's only in the second season, Troy Brown, that is. And basically his rookie season was a redshirt season, which we've talked about because he really did not play at all until the last eight games or so. But is it too early to say maybe the Wizards should have picked somebody else just based on their fit on the roster? I mean, I can't think exactly who they passed on um, at that 15 spot in 2018. But, I mean, is it too early to say, or is it too premature to say that maybe that wasn't the best draft selection i believe that two people went after him were lonnie walker lonnie walker and zaire smith or maybe when yeah. i pick before i don't quite remember i think he was one pick after to, yeah he was one pick after um but yeah those are the two guys that i was really looking for i really would have loved the bench with zaire smith and kelly uber i mean the athleticism would have been insane on the team you know you talk about adding that to john wall bradley Bio, but I digress. Uh, no, I think that Troy's proven at this point that he's just as valuable and, you know, um, even to a certain extent may have more potential than some of those guys that were taken after him. So um, the play style and the fit for the team maybe isn't as good as some others would be. But, I mean, for the player as an talent, I would say that Ernie nailed that pick as much as, you know, people may not. Right. And in addition to Lonnie Walker and Zaire Smith, uh, two other players that were picked right, right in those uh, four to five spots after Troy Brown were Kevin Huerter, um, UMD Zone, and Dante DiVincenzo. So yeah. maybe you know, in terms of outside shooting, those guys are a little bit further along um, compared to Troy Brown. But yeah, I mean, I think we both like Troy Brown pretty pretty much um, a good amount. So I mean, it's way too early for anyone to say he's a bust or you know, he's a bad pick or anything. Just just let it play out and uh, let him improve and develop because, I mean, this is a growing year, not just for him, but for several players on the Wizards roster. So uh, we shouldn't jump to any conclusions. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess just moving along. So we basically hit all those awards. Um, how about most 
this isn't like an official word, but if you had to pick a player who surprised you the most so far this season, and I know we, we basically would probably both say Bertans, uh, which we've talked about on the pod. So a player not named Bertans who surprised you the most this season, um, who would that be for you? I think my answer anyway would have been Rui. You think so? Yeah, just because when I was watching Summer League and all that, I didn't see... I mean, he wasn't playing like how he is now once he's gotten into a rhythm and all that. I mean, the guy is way more farther along than I anticipated. And yeah, my biggest gripe with him um, offensively is that, and I've said this from the beginning since he was drafted, and we've still seen this stick out now, is his under-the-rim IQ and when to go up is not good, uh, to put it nicely. But other than that, I mean, he is so polished. Like, his mid-range game is really solid. His off-bounce game is really solid. He's an excellent finisher at the rim. Um, you know, on the break and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to say Rui. And his defense has gotten better. Yeah, and we've been singing Rui's praises um, on this podcast for quite some time now. And for good he reason. He gets no love. He gets no love. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think Rui could be a dark horse for Rookie of the Year if he continues to play at this pace? Because since the Lakers game, the last game in November, he scored 14-plus points in every game. So what would it take? I mean, obviously, John Morant is probably the front runner right now if you have to pick a rookie of the year. And then Zion, maybe when he comes back from injury. But, like, what are the, what's the percentage chance of Rui possibly sneaking in as the rookie of the year front runner? Um, I think it's greatest right now, I'd probably say 10%. I was going to say maybe, like, 20 to 25, but... I, mean, I think Jaw's playing too good. Yeah, did you see... Um, did you see the, the poster dunk that Ja had last night on Aaron Baines? I did see that, yeah. That was one of the few things. Like the, the past couple of years I really haven't been paying attention to the NBA as a whole, a whole because I've tried to spend uh, more of my time getting invested into baseball and hockey, and I've been paying way more attention to football uh, the last few years or so. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I did add a highlight though. Yeah, that was crazy. And Ja is the more flash compared to Rui. I mean, obviously, you'd say Jaw is probably better at this point, but he's also more flashy and he's more of a well-known name, which are two important factors in you know in a race for an award like the Rookie of the Year. But yeah, um, yeah so I guess uh, you know this upcoming stretch the Wizards have the schedule lightens a little bit compared to uh, to the teams they've been playing. Don't matter. <laughs> so Saturday they'll take on the Grizzlies on the road, and then they'll play the Pistons on the road. And they'll return home for a quick game against the Chicago Bulls. Um, maybe a little T- Tomas Sadaransky revenge game. Uh, the same cannot be said for Otto Porter because he is still hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I think I think he – I'm pretty sure he's been hurt for the majority of this year. And I just saw the other day that he's going to be reevaluated in like four weeks, which they said like eight weeks ago or six weeks ago. So, I mean, just looking at these three games – Grizzlies, Pistons, Bulls. On paper, it's a that's a pretty manageable stretch. Maybe maybe two and one, one and two. What 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 are you what are you thinking? I think I'll go one and two with the win against the Bulls. So you think they'll drop these two games on the road and yeah. come back and beat the Bulls? Yeah. And, and let me be real um, clear really quick. I wasn't laughing at the fact that um Otto is injured. Certainly you don't rule for um a guy to be injured or anything, but uh, 
I mean, I literally saw Bulls fans on Twitter the other day, like literally trying to say that this guy was not injury prone and it absolutely cracked me up. I didn't bother to respond or anything, but I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like Otter's been injured like his whole career. Like, but as a rookie, he didn't start the season because he was injured. <laughs> right. I don't He's know. only played nine games so far this year. Yeah. But yeah, so I think I'll I'm gonna go two and one. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say two and one. I think they'll snag one of those road games, and then um, I think they'll beat the Bulls as well. So I mean, they could I, go three and zero to tell you the truth. I mean, they're very yeah, they good. It's doable. But yeah, I mean, at this point, if they if the Wizards, I mean, it's hard to expect them to win many of these games on the schedule, but you know, you're looking for for other things. Um, as opposed to just wins. I mean, player development, effort, stuff like that, which we've talked about. But uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, anything you want to touch on before we head out? Nope, I think I'm good. All right, man. Well, uh, thank you guys for listening. Be sure to follow our podcast account on Twitter at W-O-G-P underscore podcast, the first four letters in all caps. Uh, you can follow Brendan at Threesis Trice, and you can follow me at Frank J-P. Zero three. Um, thanks so much for listening, guys, and we will be back sometime next week. Have a good weekend. See you guys.